1: Enjoy the episode. Excited to welcome Ben Johnson to share the game with us. Ben is the new head coach of the University of Minnesota. Johnson, who graduated from Minnesota in 2005, returns to his alma mater after spending three seasons at Xavier as an assistant coach. Johnson previously served as an assistant coach in Minnesota from 2013 to 18, and was a two-time captain during his playing career for the Gophers. Coach Johnson was also previously an assistant coach at Nebraska-Northern Iowa, Texas Pan-America, and a graduate assistant at Dayton. Coach Johnson, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Appreciate uh, you having me on. Looking forward to it. Yeah, exciting times for you, I know, and a lot going on. So I appreciate you taking some time. And uh, I know this is going to be very valuable for coaches. So let's get right into it. What was the first thing you did when you got the job?
0: Oh, man. (laughs) Take a deep breath, really. It was uh, an exciting time, to say the least. And I just remember, you know, when you get that phone call and you see Mark Coyle on your phone, you know, it's going to go one of two ways. Right. And um, I just remember saying, I'm going to know within the first 10 seconds of this phone call if it's if it's going to go my way or not. And so you kind of you pick it up. And you're just waiting to get that vibe or that reaction to figure out, all right, which side am I on here? And when he told me that they were narrowing in on me, uh, it was just an overwhelming feeling. And so then I started calling a select few people just to kind of express my excitement and talk about the opportunity
1: that I had. So it was a day I'll never forget, to say the least. That's great. And I'm so happy to hear that one of the first things you did was to let other people know and to take a moment and celebrate. Because again, what a moment in your life. And I remember all those moments, the first jobs or different things like that. It's just so exciting, isn't it?
0: Oh, 100%. And I know I didn't get here by myself. So there were definitely people that I wanted to call right away and thank. Because without their help and guidance um, and opportunity, I wouldn't be here today. So that was really important to me. And then obviously you want to share news like that with people that get it and understand it and and, uh, that you have a lot of uh, love and admiration for. So it was good to to thank those people
1: and to to, to let people know kind of this unbelievable opportunity that I've been given. Extensive background. So, again, prepared for the job. We don't there's no question there with all your background, but in talking to some coaches about their first head coaching experience, what's unique about yours is that you're very familiar with the location and where you're going to have your first head coaching experience, which often isn't the case. And I got to think that's a huge advantage for you.
0: Oh, no question. It's been huge. I mean, even going back to, uh, you know, growing up, I grew up 15 minutes from campus. So live, go for basketball from third grade, all the way up going to, to De La Salle and, Basically driving the same route, getting off at the same freeway exit, the whole deal. And then you know, to hire Dave Thorson, who was my high school coach, but also worked here for four years under Clem Haskins. The lay of the land, is something I'm very familiar with, and so that is without a doubt helped me. And it's kind of come full circle from being a recruited athlete to being a student athlete, to being an assistant coach, to now being a head coach. A lot of a familiar faces in the building, but just understanding the university, understanding the process. Understanding kind of what works here, understanding the state has definitely helped me in, the, in this first couple couple of weeks on the job for sure.
1: So once getting the job and getting beyond some of the excitement and all that initial stuff, then what are some of the first things that you're doing within that first week that you get the job? What are give some coaches an impression of the most important things?
0: For me, it was the current roster, without a doubt. Um, and I think the portal played a big role. Obviously, uh, we've kind of seen uh, how that's gone. But it was figuring out the roster and figuring out okay, who's on board? You know, who do I need to convince? Who do I need to talk to? Who do I not have a chance with? Who do I who do I who would I like to stay? Um, And and just try to figure out that 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 first because then that affects your recruiting. You know, you got to figure out okay, what do I have? What do I need to get? Um, So that took precedence right away, without a doubt. And you're you know still going on even now. Um, But you know, I think that first week that consumed me with. Okay, figuring out where our guy's even at, um, you know, when are they going to become the campus? When can I start developing that relationship? When can we start talking about, uh, you know, philosophies and kind of what they want and what my vision is uh, to to kind of map out the direction that we need to go recruiting wise and and what holes and
1: gaps we need to fill? I don't think it surprises anyone to hear you say recruiting, but I think what's unique about what you're saying is it's really recruiting your current roster which is a part of all coaches job nowadays with the transfer portal and everything else that goes into it. So what are some of the things philosophically that you can share with players about your style that would, again, help them convince them to be able to stay to play for you?
0: Yeah. I think the, the big thing with me is, is I'm in core values. That's really, really important to me. I think um, that goes back to, you know, being a former athlete and a former player, especially here, um, and kind of going through the process from both lenses as a student athlete, that played and but and, and was recruited. And now, you know, as a assistant coach and I was head coach, a lot of times coaches can say that it can be like coach speak, but like we want to really live it because I know the value in that locker room of when you're, you're true to whatever it is that your core principles are. And so that's what, that was the first thing to let these guys know kind of what I stood for, what our program is going to stand for. And that was kind of like the base. And, and for me, um, there's kind of two ways I looked at it. Um, you know, trust, Is one of the core values that that I hold near and dear to our heart, to my heart. Um, And that kind of is full circle. They got to trust themselves as a player. You know, they got to trust the work that they put in that eventually over time, it's going to it's going to pan out, you know, kind of the cliche trust the process. Um, They got to trust me over time. They got to trust our staff that we're going to put them in the right position uh, athletically, socially, and academically uh, to be successful. And then they got to be, you know, guys of integrity. Uh, I think that is a piece where if you want to win at the highest level, you've got to have the right character makeup. You know, you've got to do the right things all the time because I think there's a direct correlation. I think if you're sloppy off the floor, you're going to be sloppy on the floor. I think there's very few LeBron James, Kevin Durant that are so talented where, you know, you can have distractions and and still be really good. I think for our guys and for me, it, it goes hand in hand. If you're a mess and a disaster academically and socially, your game ain't gonna be right, or it's not gonna be, it's not gonna meet your level of expectation. And it's not gonna be my level and our team's level. And if you wanna win big, as you know, you, you gotta have everything's gotta work. It's gotta fit. So integrity is, is a big piece. And then lastly, competitiveness. I gotta have guys that are naturally competitive. And, and we're gonna teach that every single day that you gotta fight for everything that you get. And I need guys that are willing to fight for everything I get. I think you know, cool guys lose. And, and we can't have a room full of cool guys. Um, you know, to me, cool is is competing. And, and I think it goes back to just a life lesson where we all want it to be great every single day. But we all know the older you get, the more responsibilities you have and the more expectations. And if you become a father and a parent, you have to fight every day because if you don't, the life ain't stopping. You know, it's going to keep coming. And you got to find a way through, through good days and bad to keep progressing and getting better and, uh, and, and succeed. And so I think that's really important is is every day we got to compete. Um, So those are the three kind of core values. There's other values that I have with with style of play, but like those are three. When we talk about recruiting or we talk about a baseline of what guys that are going to stay on or come to our team have, it would definitely be
1: those three. That's tremendous. I'm so glad you shared that. And I want to dive deeper in a few of those topics and also style of play philosophy. But I just want to go back to one thing that you said, which I think is fascinating And it's the process of evaluating the current roster because you really don't have much time to do that. You did some, I assume, in the preparation for the interview process. But can you talk a little bit about that without specific players being mentioned, but talk about is it analytics? Is it game film? Is it conversations with peers or people around them? What are some of the things that go into your evaluation of the current returning roster?
0: Yeah, no, that's a great question, because I do think you got to take a deep dive. In my opinion, uh, the way I am, you know, it's so valuable. Who you have in that locker. And to me, especially first year coach uh, at this level in this league. And then the way I want to I want to do things here that 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 foundation is everything. And you got to make sure you get the foundation right to start. Um, And so obviously you look at the analytics piece, you look at the numbers, you watch the film. That's important, but that goes without a doubt. You, you got to have good enough players. You got to have guys that, that are efficient, that can make plays, that, are, that translates. I think to me, that's the big thing is like, okay, what does a player do that can translate to how we're going to play or our style of play? But then I think you got to go deeper. You got to peel it back. Who is that kid? You got to ask the questions. What are they? How are they academically? How are they socially? You know, have there been issues? Are they going to fit? What type of locker room guy are they? You got to ask, you know, the strength coach, how are they with you? The academic advisor, how are they with you? Former staff If they're willing to share. What are the positives, the negatives? And, and it's really important because, like I said, they don't know me and I don't know them, right? And so I think it goes both ways. And in order for me to coach guys the way I want to coach them, I got to kind of understand what I'm getting into. And I got to understand how they are and who they are. and that's important as much as they understand who I am. And that's where you got to have it work. And I think every coach who takes over a job has got to make that tough call because there's going to be some cases where a player might be good enough, but it can't just be that. Because if they're good enough, but yet they're killing you in the locker room, it ain't going to work. And you're dealing with year one, just distractions, and you're not focused on, you know, building that program. And so I think um, that was very big for me. Um, you know, and not to say that guys that aren't here are like that. Um, but just, I think it worked out in a way where we're hitting the ground running um, with guys that are not only two feet in, um, but guys that that are about, you know, kind of what I'm about, what my staff's about, what we want this program to be built on. And that's exciting. You know, it's hard to, to completely flip a roster, but then I think we got to flip our mindsets at the same time, we're able to now get it with guys that are quote unquote, our guys. Um, and quote unquote, will will you know, kind of, program it the way we want to from the start and really try to build and take off from there. So it's been, it's been interesting, but, but I think it's worked out and it's going to pan out for years to come.
1: No, absolutely. And uh, it's safe to say that you've done a deeper dive on the players than they've done a deeper dive on you. So I'm curious that if part of it is like recruiting where you're dealing with their champion, so to speak, it's a parent, their coach, whoever's really involved in their life. Is that part of the process for you as well at this point?
0: One hundred percent. And it goes back to your your earlier question. Um, I was fortunate to know a lot of people that are here at the university. So whether that's, you know, people in different administrative roles, um, that could be, you know, academically, that could be, you know, whatever, all the different functions you have in the flight department. Um, So I was able to get a lot of intel and get from people that I trust. And I think that's huge. Because as a new coach, you're not a lot of times afforded that. You know, you might get input from person A or B, but they might be sided and they might have a a certain feeling about a kid or they might not know how you are as a person or a coach. So they might give you advice that's good, but might not be the best advice. Whereas I was very fortunate enough to lean on a bunch of people, not only uh, on my staff, but throughout the athletic department that knew me, that could say, hey, Ben, I'm telling you, hey, this is a kid you want to keep. Hey, I know, you know, whatever the numbers might not say it, or he didn't have, you know, A, B, or C going this year on the court. But I'm just telling you, he's the type of kid that he gets it or or you give him a chance. And then you could also have it be like, hey, they'll shoot me straight, or we're gonna let you make the decision, but knowing you, knowing the direction you want to go, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna kind of give you our take on whatever this situation. Uh, so that really, really helped me to have that uh, that that type of information I could trust right away because I know everywhere uh, that that's not always the case.
1: Sports culture takes Take Line has it all. Take Line is a weekly podcast hosted by Emmy winner Jason Concepcion and former WNBA champ Renee Montgomery. That's a fast-paced exploration of the NBA and world of sports and culture. Each week, Jason and Renee talk about the games, players, controversies, and issues that run both on and off the court. Follow now to hear Take Line every Tuesday, wherever you get your pods. Coach, have you heard of Locker Room? Locker Room is live audio-only sports talk. It's free to download and to use. And you can talk to me and other fans and athletes and insiders in real time. I'm now going live on Locker Room on the Locker Room app Every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern, where I'm going to have real basketball conversations. It's perfect as well for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news, where you can share your own experiences on the app. All you need to do is to download the Locker Room app, free in the iOS App Store, create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the league or group that you want to be a part of. You can follow me on Twitter, at B-Ball Immersion, to be notified when my room goes live. We'll be going live on Locker Room, Tuesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern. Join me on Locker Room. Coach, I know you've interviewed, I mean, you've been a well-respected assistant for a long time. I know you've interviewed for other jobs. So maybe give us a perspective. What would be the difference, if any, between a mid-major interview and a high-major interview? Are there different things that go into those processes? I
0: think there are. Um, you know, I've been fortunate enough for the last uh, three years now to, to, to be in a position to, to, to get in front of uh, an AD and a president and a search committee. Um, I think and I've kind of been at, at all different levels of it. Um, I think at the lower levels, the one thing that stood out is a lot of times those are just like I was a first year AD. Or a new Intuit AD, so now they have totally different concerns. This, this, I might be their very first hire, and obviously with basketball, it's probably going to be one of the more high-profile hires on the campus. And so with that comes, you know, a whole different uh, set of eyes. You know, you're getting hit, I'm sure, as they are as administrator with the pressure of making sure they get their first hire right, and they want to get their first hire right. So it's kind of the process. I'm sure is a little bit. Different on their end, Um, and then I think you know with this one, you know Mark's obviously you know been a veteran AD in the game, so he's hired football, hockey, volleyball, basketball. You know it's it's just a different uh, a different tone now. The 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 expectations and the the profile of the job is obviously higher than um, a a mid or a lower because of being in the Big Ten. But I think you definitely have um, you know with experience comes everything. Um, So I think that was something that probably. Stands out a little bit, um, just di- different angles from the AD standpoint. I think as far as just like line of questioning, uh, it's pretty much the same, you know, uh, especially from a first year guy. You know, they want to want to know your philosophy and want to know uh, why you're the guy, why you're ready for it uh, and all that stuff. But, you know, I would just say, uh, you know, like anything, there's a difference in a guy who's done it uh, and has made hires before versus, hey, this is this AD's first first hire, uh, you know, is it's a little bit different.
1: Yeah, that's a really cool insight and maybe wouldn't have thought of it that way. And that's cool to hear. And then I'm also curious, then you get hired. Do you get bombarded with people right away about potential jobs? Is that how it works? Because obviously you have a huge network.
0: You do. You do. And um, and, and you always hear, oh, man, I got, you know, 500 text messages or this or that. Uh, (laughs) And that stuff, honestly, is real. And, and you know, you'd hear it and I'd be like, I'm in the way. But, um, you know, you do. And literally, uh, it just it just keeps coming. And, and you have to make a lot of tough calls as a, as a head coach. I mean, there is a lot of, of you know, honest conversations. Uh, you feel like, at least I did, that first two weeks, all I told people was no. And you feel like that. You feel like every day, all I'm doing is saying no, 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 or can't, 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 or but. And, and it messes you up a little bit because it does. It, it you feel like the Grim Reaper. Um, but at the same time, you have to realize, okay, I might only get one shot at this. And I have to do right by me. I have to do right by my administration, by the president, by the university. It's not personal. It's really not. And I think I've tried to, you know, as assistant coach, I always try to look at it that way, too. That, that is not personal, whether I got a job or didn't get a job or try to get a job um, because I think each situation is different. You might be qualified for a quote unquote high major a big ten job. but if the situation or the demographic doesn't fit maybe what a coach thinks you bring, well, that might be all it takes to to not land a position. And again, it does and not you know, I wasn't saying some of these guys weren't qualified or were were really good coaches or really good recruiters or you know whatever you might be they, they they're all stars but it's just the situation. And once you hire a guy, that determines the other two guys, you know. And then the other thing is salary pool. You know, I think now that's something where you could self-eliminate because you make X amount of money. And I could want to hire you, but I, maybe I couldn't afford it. You know, Minnesota is different. Um, you know, some schools have a crazy budget. I have a very good budget. Um, but I do think that's real, where some guys, it's like the expectation, you know, doesn't always meet kind of the availability, whether that's funds um, or role. And so like I said, there's a lot of tough decisions. Um, you know, a, a, you, you definitely see this side of it, obviously as a head coach when you got to make the call. And you just got to hope that when you say no, uh, you know, you don't kill too many relationships or friendships and that they they hopefully understand. Um, but it's hard because there's a lot of good coaches out there that can that can help programs.
1: Yeah, it's a good and a bad problem, right? (laughs) To have that many people interested in wanting to work with you. And you've been on both sides of that. So I'm curious if you can provide a little bit, maybe of an understanding for coaches that are potentially looking for a job. What would be the best way, in your opinion, for them to approach that type of situation if they did want to reach out to you and just express that, hey, I'm available if you want me?
0: I think just that. I think... um You know, I'm a pretty open, transparent person. Like, I get it. I I don't judge guys. Um, You know, it's got to work for both people. So I think just having that honest, open communication. Um, You know, I think, too, you know, if you have a pre-existing relationship with a guy, that obviously helps. Because, as you know, trust is huge. Um, You know, I think, you know, the the trust factor is, is, for me, probably right at the very top of the list with any position that I, that I hire, because I think the trust factor is huge. So, you know, anytime a guy is on the road and, and, and and can meet a head coach or head coaches, I think that's big um, because uh, it definitely plays a role, but I would think just, just that open, honest uh, conversation to start it. um, It it always, it always, it always goes well.
1: Coach. So you you then hire a staff and uh, and now you have to manage a staff as the head coach. So I'm curious, how does that process go about in terms of defining roles initially? Do you have a meeting with everyone and then you throw out kind of like best ideas and best things and then you determine roles from there? Or do you have a good understanding before you hire them what their role is going to be?
0: Yeah. I have a pretty good understanding. I think that's um, that's one of the things that that helped me um, I, in the probably the last five to six years as an assistant coach, I would always kind of try to have a philosophy book. For this day. Um, and within that philosophy book, and you know, obviously I would tweak it year to year, um, but I would have, you know, under staff, so say assistant coach one, two, and three, kind of their roles. Um, and that's one thing that I, I kind of got from Xavier. Um, you know, Coach Steele does a great job of defining roles throughout the entire program. So we would always meet, you know, in the fall and you would have your kind of your responsibility sheet. And we would go through it and we go through the entire book. But on that sheet, it would lay out, okay, Ben, this is what I'm in charge of this year, everything from recruiting to the finest detail to uh, dealing with the training room and let them know, you know, who's going to be available for practice to anything outside of on-the-floor coaching. And so what I've done is is I always took that as kind of like my model and my grid, and then for each job and the location, you kind of tweak, okay, the responsibilities and what I feel were important and what I feel like fit me. And so I was able to, to mold my staff and I used that kind of the, as a cheat sheet. I knew exactly the things I was looking for, um, whether it was areas of recruiting as far as, you know, geography, uh, whether it was personality, whether it was, you know, guys that, you know, well, this person, I need somebody that's really detail-oriented that could focus in on, you know, X, Y, and Z in our program. That really helped me. And so then when I was able to get the guys that I wanted, you know, we would definitely sit down as a staff in the fall and really detail out. Okay, here is, you know, assistant coach one's responsibility, two, three, from strength and conditioning uh, to academic support staff uh, to our GAs, to our our operations all the way down. Um, I think this summer we obviously will be organized and they'll kind of have a pretty good idea as far as on the floor uh, during our eight week program and then recruiting. But it also gives me a time to figure out, Okay, I was dead on. This guy is really good at this. I can keep him with this type of responsibility or, you know what? I found out that this guy is a little bit better than this, let's split this a little bit as far as responsibilities going in in the fall. Like I said, we'll meet as an entire staff and get everybody on the same page. There's no secrets. And then that way, you know, guys know exactly what they need to do. And um, I think it really helps you with organization and it also helps with those guys being able to do the best job they can. You know, if it's, if it's not necessarily on your plate, you can still dive in it, but like if you can push that off to somebody that's responsible for it, then let's do that so we can kind of
1: keep it, keep it moving. You mentioned the philosophy book. So we got to talk about that a little bit. Can you give us some perspective on some of the sections or some of the different things that kind of would help a coach outline a similar thing if they were planning that?
0: Yeah. Uh, So in my philosophy book, obviously I'll I'll have my, my core values uh, and my beliefs as far as, uh, you know, overall. And I talked about that with trust, integrity, competitiveness. Um, And then I talk about my, my core values or the values and, and the staple of what I want our program to be about basically from a, from a fan's perspective. Um, Okay. So when a fan comes to a game, what are three things that I want them to walk away from that necessarily don't have to do with details of X's and O's. It's more of kind of a broad scape of, okay, here's kind of what Minnesota basketball needs to look like from the outside in. Talked about that. Talked about my overall philosophy of how I want to play offensively, defensively talk about my staff makeup in there. I will have, The job description is kind of in a generic form uh, of, you know, here's what I'm looking for. Here's what I value. Here's responsibilities for for an assistant coach that works for us. And then talk about just recruiting, how we attack that. What are my beliefs on recruiting? Um, So that way, when I meet down as a staff, it's pretty clear. All right, here's the type of kid we're looking for. Here's the type of uh, style that I like. And then I think we'll win here. Um, And then here's kind of the areas geographically that I, that I think I want to really at least touch base on and make sure we're, 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 we're attacking, we're being real, really thorough in. Um, it gives an academic breakdown, expectations of, of my student-athletes, expectations of our staff, and how we want to attack the academics. Um, strength and conditioning, it gives a breakdown just of that, kind of our goals, what we want to get out of the weight room, why it's important, um, you know, how we can build and develop our guys um, in, in that area n- with nutrition as well. Um, and then just the overall, I think you got to talk about the social aspect. All right. When it goes into recruiting, here's why we want these type of kids, but socially here's kind of the expectations, because I think that's real and, and how you manage, whether it's social media and, you know, for us, there's 55, you know, 50 to 55,000 people that go to school here and you're located in a, in a, in a major city. So you better be able to manage and have, um, a game plan for the social aspect. And and how we're we're operating that, you know, um, how we're policing that. And also, honestly, how we're developing that. How can we use the 18 Fortune 500 companies here to market and brand our guys? And I think the branding piece and the marketing piece is, is so important, not only for our program, but for each individual player, because they're getting hit with it. We might all want to admit it as a coach, but, you know, schools and programs and family, they're talking to those kids about, you know, how can you be marketed? How can you be branded? And I think uh, we've got to have an approach that can answer those questions.
1: Well, I love it. I love it. so many things you said. And I want to jump on a few of them and the fan experience part. I think that's brilliant that uh, that's accounted for in that way. Just great stuff. And then the other part you mentioned is obviously your players handling the environment and now being at a major program in a major city. Same question to you now. Do you have a mental health plan for yourself in terms of dealing with now all of a sudden all this extra pressure and attention that comes from being the head coach? But not just a head coach at a like a low major. You're at a high major as a head coach.
0: That's usually you brought that up because I was talking to a friend about that, and he he was basically telling me, "I mean, you have a lot of stuff covered here, but have you covered yourself? And mm-hmm. and do you have somebody that you know you can kind of be the buffer that you can either vent to or that you can talk to uh, problems that you have or issues that that may may come up?" Um, and, and I asked "I You know, unfortunately, answered no. But, you know, I've thought about it, but um, you know, as of right now, I don't. But I know it is important. You know, I preach to these guys about the mental aspect that they need to bring every single day, and how that can help them become a really good player. Um, you know, and, and, and if I'm not taking my own my own thoughts and words and applying it to myself, um, you know, it, 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 it probably doesn't go go far with them. So I need to do that. Um, I haven't, but it's definitely something I do. I do agree with you. I think uh, all coaches should probably. Have that field uh, at their disposal.
1: Well, it's it's definitely part of the process nowadays is learning how to manage yourself and can you know just be self aware of all the different things you go through. And uh, to your point, I had someone uh, later in my career that I found that had nothing to do with my program, and I could always call them and have an honest conversation, knowing it wouldn't go any farther, and just have some perspectives. Again, an outsider perspective, and it was tremendous. But uh, also in addition to that, obviously like healthy eating. Uh, different types of workouts, different types of things. Because again, it's so easy as a head coach to justify removing those things from your life. Whereas an assistant, it was probably easier in a way to have those things in your life. Cool.
0: And I think that is one thing, you know, I've had some some head coaches be unbelievable to me, whether it's, you know, Tom Izzo, Matt Painter, you know, Jawan Howard, you know, guys in our, Steve Peichel, guys in our league have reached out. They've been unbelievable. But then just talking to, you know, Shocker Smart, uh, just different coaches that have said, just that you can't forget about yourself, you know, and, and I think a big piece of that is the workout piece is we can get so consumed with this fast pace and you're always trying to do something that you forget to take care of your body. Well, if your body shuts down, it's going to be really hard to sustain your energy and your focus for an entire year. And then you're cheating your team, you're cheating your program. So I think as a, as a coach, you know, we always talk about nutrition and being in the best shape of uh, for players and conditioning. Well, if we're not doing that as a staff, then I think, uh, you know, we're kind of talking out of the, the both ends, you know? And so I've really realized that not only is it a mental break to get away, to get a workout in, to get a sweat in, but it kind of, it, it, for me, I come up with a lot of stuff and a lot of ideas when I'm, when I'm working out. Um, and it's a way for me to escape it and get away. But more importantly, you know, you're keeping your body healthy. And I think, you know, getting sleep is important. Obviously eating the right way is important, but, but getting that sweat in every day I've learned, uh, it just manages my stress and and it keeps me healthy.
1: Well, it's easy. I've talked about it before on the podcast with other coaches, this external pressure from media or other people about what their perception of a coach is. And you're absolutely right. You just got to be selfish and take care of you because it's, you're going to do better ultimately for everyone else. And that's great. Coach, I want to build on something you said before, which I loved. Cool guys lose. Can you talk then about how you create this competitive culture within your program and within your practices and give us some insights into some of the things that are going to build competitiveness?
0: I think the first thing that, that, that's worked for me uh, is it starts with recruiting. I think, um, you know, if you watch a kid in high school and there's something that bothers you about him in high school or he doesn't quite have that competitive spirit that you want or at the level you think you need in high school, it ain't going to just turn on once he gets to you. I don't care how talented he is. I don't care all the potential that that guy might have. I think for the most part, a lot of what you see recruiting is going to be a lot of what you get. And that's good and bad. But you have to have an eye for that. That, that to me, is part of the evaluation process. It's not just getting dunk. Can he block shots? Can he rebound? But it's that whole thing of, all right, does he have that grip? Does what, he have that
1: drive? What, what are some of those things, coach, in practice or in games that you would see and notice and say, hey, this is a competitive person, a competitive player. Let's focus on the positive side of it.
0: Body language without a doubt. I watch that from the minute I walk in the gym. That's um, the first. I, I will literally stare at a dude in layups, on the bench, in timeouts just how they walk around on the court, their interaction with teammates, with me is everything. Um, how they talk to them, uh, good play, bad play. So you could, be, you could be off the ball. If there's a turnover by your team on the other side, what's your reaction to that? What's your body language to that? You know, are you a thumb pointer or a finger pointer? You know, are you on that dude's ass all the time where you can tell like, it rubs everyone the wrong way? Or do you have that balance? You know, how, do you, how, do you, how do you engage and interact with people, to me, is very telling. You know how you treat people outside of the court is very telling. You know if I watch you in the hallway or at the hotel or at a gym and and you catch my eyes, like you know what is your what is your interaction there? How do you carry yourself? Because I think that that stuff translates. Because that ultimately, in my opinion, that's the character, that DNA, because that's who you are. You know, a, you know when it's all said and done. And so I really watch that. I pay I pay a bunch of attention to that. Um, I think you know guys that are inherently just a, a natural leader or a good teammate have that good body language i love it and and i think those guys you you combine that with having the talent level i think those guys really take off um and then i think too um you know it's just that does winning and i get these guys play so many games i think it's unrealistic for us to say oh every game if a guy loses they should be distraught and angry and all that i, I don't think that's realistic but I do think there's a difference in you can tell when a guy cares and loves to play versus he's just out there for other reasons. And, and I want guys that love to play that you know, they don't necessarily care how their shorts look, how their jersey looks, you know, what shoes they have on to a certain extent. They worry about, man, I get to compete today. All right, I got a game today. We're about to tip this thing off and I'm about to put on a show that's that's the and I think that's kind of a vibe or kind of the energy more than anything just like a gut feeling that I have when I watch a kid or see a kid I can kind of I've always kind of been able to tell um hope I'm right most of the time I think I have a pretty good uh ratio with that but but I definitely look at that it's like what's my vibe when I watch this kid play is my vibe telling me he's a true competitor or just kind of and uh and I think that for me that's big is as, as I want guys that, you know, ratings are great. I get all that. But at the end of the day, I think the other stuff, when I peel it back and really look at a kid and evaluate the body language, the, the, the true competitor, um, the, how you interact to me is important because we're all going to, at this level, you're going to get talented guys. That, that goes, to me, that goes without saying, you know, I tell my staff all the time, like, you know, if you take away transition in AAU and in high school, what does he get done? That's what we need to evaluate that part, um, and, and, and see where we go from there.
1: This week has tons of sports action as the MLB, NBA, and NHL are in full swing. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sports betting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sports news, sign up bonuses and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Bet online, your online sportsbook expert. You work hard and you play hard, so treat yourself and stock up for the summer barbecues with Kansas City Steak Company. Visit kansascitysteaks.com and get 10% off your order and free shipping with code SD at checkout. From classic steak cuts to USDA prime to American style Kobe, hard to find specialty cuts and more, Kansas City Steaks has everything you need to fire up the grill. They make it so easy. Each order from Kansas City Steaks is a flash frozen and delivered directly to your home. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. Imagine relaxing in the backyard with family while enjoying steakhouse quality meats from Kansas City Steaks. Bring the steakhouse to your house this summer with Kansas City Steaks. Go to KansasCitySteaks.com and get 10% off your order and free shipping with code SD at checkout. That's KansasCityStakes.com, code SD, KansasCityStakes.com, code SD. Yeah, that's such a great point there about that, but That because it obviously gets harder at the next level to be able to score in those ways. Uh, the other part that I'm curious then with that is, like it's okay to have competitive frustration though, right? Like in a way, like we kind of want athletes to want to do better. So with that, how do you assess their improvement from say year to year? And does that factor into, Hey, this is the type of player for us because he values his development. Cause he showed it over time. I'm curious 100. how that factors in.
0: No, 100%. You, you want, we always talk about, you want guys that are going, their game's going in an upward trajectory. Right. And, and, and that tells me they're, they're still developing. It tells me they're putting time into their game. Um, you know, I love that. When you when you see a guy make a big jump, to me, that excites me because it tells me that they're they're living in the gym or there's still room to grow. I think sometimes it's not to to people's fault. Some guys, you know, kind of you could tell that they're really good players, but they might plateau or there's not that. You just you watch them from summer to summer or year to year, and you're like, man, he got he got a little bit better, but you just don't know if there's that huge room for growth. Versus some guys where you're like, man, I see it down the line. He might not have it as a junior or senior. So you're still taking a little bit of faith, but you can see it's trending the right way. We want guys that are trending the right way. And and, and a lot of times it is a leap of faith because they're not going to be that finished product. You know, they're not going to be that guy that maybe could come in right away and get you, you know, high, high level production. But you can see it. And you see that like, man, if this guy after his freshman year does what he's been doing his sophomore, junior year, he's going to take off. Those are the type of guys that we want, those those development guys and and guys that then embrace that. Um, but, but have a big, big upside. That's
1: great stuff. And uh, you mentioned style of play. And uh, I know you haven't had a chance yet to be on the court with your roster yet, but uh, what are some things that uh, shape your style of play that you would be communicating to your players right now?
0: I think the biggest thing is skill, having a high level skill. I just think that's, that's what this league, um, if you look at who's been able to, to sustain success they've been teams that have, have had a high level of skill. Uh, so guys that can dribble past and shoot is a high premium, especially the ability to shoot. And then I think having high IQ, high field um, guys that know how to play. I will take a guy that knows how to play over that ridiculous athlete. That's just me. Um, I think that there's a ton of value in guys that play the right way for how we want to play and just have a natural feel of, of the game have that natural IQ. Make that, to me, that's, that's how you make guys better because you're making the right play when it's the right play. Um, I think those guys get better, um, but I think it translates. I think shooting, I don't care at what level, that translates, right? Now it's just finding ways, okay, are you able to get it off or how do we, how do we run action or how do we get you those shots? But I think if a guy shoots it, a guy can block shots or rebound, I think for sure those three things, in my opinion, normally always translate. And we always look for that. At the end of the day, it's like, okay, especially if you're looking at a guy that, you know, is missing a little something. If he's either not as athletic, if he maybe doesn't have the length or the size, um, if you know, I'm okay with that. If he has that unique skill, that translate. We had a kid, Jordan Murphy here, who was an unbelievable player. You know, Jordan played the four and the five and legitimately was six, five. Maybe six six, but watching Murph recruiting him, he he rebounded the ball at a high level ever since I know him consistently, and I just told our staff this will translate. I'm just telling you guys, I know he's undersized, but he's got great length and he has a knack for rebounding the basketball. And coincidentally, it did. And uh, I think well, we're going to have to do that as a staff um, at, a, at a at a at a high premium is, is evaluate stuff and and evaluate guys and, and see what translates. Uh, you know, to, to our level and to, to our style.
1: So you talk about developing skill or recruiting skill and all those different pieces. So where is skill fitting into your practices? Is it fitting in throughout practice? Or are you going to do separate skill sessions? Where does it fit in in terms of player development? So we'll do
0: skill to start as a warm up every day. Um, and then throughout practice, you know, we'll definitely do fundamental skill breakdowns before we go into, you know, live stuff, whether it's three on three, four on four, five on five. Um, And we'll do that every day and be really consistent with it every day. Um, And then obviously within the rules, um, you know, we like to do kind of individual workout workouts throughout the year. And it's not crazy taxing, especially as we get into lead play. But, you know, if we can get a guy in the gym for 20, 25 minutes, a couple of days a week extra for some one-on-one time um, to work on whatever it is, footwork, maybe if you have a big, it's that skill of being able to pick and pop and just drilling the fundamentals of getting your feet set. The fundamentals of setting or slipping a ball screen and working your feet, you know, for a guard. Maybe it's just ball handling for 10 minutes. But if you're doing it four or five days a week, their t- handle's going to get a little bit tighter come January, February, March. Um, so I think it's 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 doing it every day in practice, trying to find ways to build it in. It's also recruiting that way with kids that, that inherently are skilled. Um, it's emphasizing it and then it's doing a little bit extra. And, and like I said, that's with an assistant coach, within the rules, within the hours you know, whether it's three or four days a week, uh, getting in that 20, 25 minute kind of individual workout throughout the entire year, um, I think just really builds on it. But making it, we have to make it an emphasis as a staff. It can't be just something we talk about, but it's gotta be something we implement. And I think, you know, my assistants do a really good job of 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 doing it enough where now the players will buy into it and it'll just kind of be be a natural thing. I you know, I'm a huge Miami Heat guy. Um huge. Uh, and I think they do one of the best of just working and there's no substitute for work. So I try to steal as much from them, just their philosophies of it, of how he even runs the program um, with, from the type of guys they get that are like Miami Heat guys. I think that's our goal. You know, I could see a player you know, be like, that's a Miami Heat type of player. Well, they need to say that about Minnesota. Uh, you know, that's a Minnesota type of guy. And we need to work like they do uh, with everything we do that's fundamental and skill.
1: Well, Coach Spolstra and uh, the staff and the program down there is a great one to have as a model. And uh, Coach Bolstra listens to the podcast, so uh, hopefully uh, he'll listen to this episode at some point, probably after this season, but uh, right, right. excited to hear that. So um, style of play, skill. So then I'm curious from there, you've had so many influences and so many coaches that you've been influenced by. Then this emphasis on skill, does that then lead you to not decide on your tactics necessarily until after you've gone through this evaluation of skill?
0: Yeah, 100%. I think, um, you know, each coach, Like, I have a style that I know I would like to play ideally, but I'm also very cognizant of your roster dictates probably how you're going to play. But we've recruited that way. So I think the way we've recruited and, and, and the way I'm comfortable and how I want to play will fit, but I won't know until June when we get our guys here. Um, but I think as this portal becomes comes into play i think every staff is going to probably look at that like hey i might have been this type of coach but if i can't get those type of players does it make sense to to necessarily fully play that way Are we, and we're going to have to tweak some things so um i do think there, there's going to be some of that we gotta we gotta evaluate what guys can and can't do uh their iq their field do they do they can they play in concepts? which is what i want to do um, and, and if they can't great uh, and then we'll, we'll mold it after that. If they can't, like, let's see how we got to tweak it. But again, that goes
1: into, you know, what, what we, what you think recruiting wise, you know, and you got to be able to tackle that. Is there any, you know, one or two things tactically that right now, you know, this is a must for me because this philosophically aligns for me.
0: Yeah. Shooting. Hmm. I mean, I think that, I think, uh, you know, being in the big East really, and I knew it before, but really opened my eyes um, Cause it's a little bit different style than the big 10. Um, it's a little bit freer, but, you know, watching whether it's us at Xavier, whether it's Villanova, you know, whether it was Creighton and I had all those guys, scouts, you know, really dissecting how they play and how for, for me as a coach uh, you know, if you got guys that can shoot, especially one through five, that totally changes floor spacing, totally changes the binds you put the defense in. Totally changes, you know, what you can run and how you can play, and I think it covers up for a lot of mistakes. You know, obviously you got to be good defensively, but on the offensive side of the ball, if you got guys that can make an open shot, I just think it, it, it changes everything. So that is the biggest thing that we're going to focus in on, whether it's skill development or recruiting or just within our offensive concepts, is floor
1: spacing and finding those guys that can space it with
0: the ability to shoot the ball.
1: Uh. You, t- you mentioned Fortune 500 companies in the area. So another part that I think all high school coaches and you know, smaller college coaches can relate to is this piece of dealing with boosters and fundraising and the importance of that. And you talked about it relative to branding and, and recruiting for your players as well. So can you just give us an impression kind of in your first 30 days or so, some of the things that you've done to be able to raise the profile of the program relative to those things?
0: I think it's, it's, it's branding It's so big. It's, you know, not turning down any type of interview, you know, not turning down anytime I can do, you know, whether it's a podcast or uh, you go live on Instagram or you do, you know, a booster club, zoom meeting. Anytime I get the opportunity to talk about, you know, our program, I think it only helps. I think it just helps get the brand out there, get our philosophy out there, especially as a first year head coach that, you know, I can't fall back on a body of work. So I have to sell something. I have to get us out there some way. And I have to paint the picture of what Minnesota basketball is going to be about and is about some way. And for me right now, the best way is to do stuff like this. And so I think it's just, it's talking about our brain, talking about our program, talking about me, my philosophy, why I'm excited about this job, why I know we can get it done here as much as possible and get that out there and have people read it, watch it, see it. Um, I think it's very, very important. And I think it, it helps like, you know, I talk, to, I talk to Boosters every week. Um, those people are important to what we're doing. Not only because they, they give money and they help fund and, they, and we need those resources, but because at the end of the day, they're fans. And for me and for us, I want that place where we play at Williams Arena to be full. And I need that, those fans to have the buy-in. And so if I'm able to talk to these people and, and get buy-in early, well, I tell them, if you like what you're hearing, spread the word. Tell a friend, tell a neighbor, tell somebody. So that now all of a sudden, it's not just a booster club of 50. Maybe it's a booster club of 150. And then you're able to grow and build and build. But I'm confident in our message and how we're going to go about it. And so because of that, I want people to hear it. And I want to get out there as much as possible because I think what they hear, they're going to like. And if they like it, they're going to embrace it and support it. And at the end of the day, that's what you want. You know, I think if if we can fill our arena and get this fan base uh, all about Gopher basketball, that's only going to help us in everything that we do here to try to elevate our program.
1: Yeah. It's great to hear you talk about that. And uh, the importance of that is obvious and something that isn't talked about enough in transitions. And we're seeing this a lot with transitions of assistant coaches, say from one program to another as well. So I'm curious if you can just address the, the, I guess the best practices or some of the things that happen when a coach transitions from a program, obviously Xavier and coach Steele were a static for you. But talk about that process of leaving a program because that's got to be hard as well
0: It's very hard. Um, you know, for a lot of reasons, I think you know there there is that security, uh, you know, and I don't know how many guys will really admit it, but you know, we all want to be head coaches and and I did as much as the next guy, but there is that level of when you're an assistant, there is a certain amount of security. You're not throwing yourself all the way out there, where now it's like, okay, I just took this job, like this is on me now, like I can't. I can't put this off on other people, Uh, and so you're leaving that. You know, you're leaving a system in an environment that's obviously been successful at Xavier. Um, You know, it kind of you know runs itself, so to speak, in terms of just the day-to-day operations. Um, There's a comfort level in that, and they've been really, really successful. Um, And then there's a relationship piece. Um, You know, I was there for three years and developed a really good relationship with Greg Christopher, the AD, with you know, you know Susan Lipnicki, who works in administration, with our staff, you know, Mario Mercurio, Dante Jackson, Jonas Hayes, obviously Travis Steele, you know, Trey Scott, you know, all these guys you work with for three years through the ups and downs, those are relationships that are special. And then on top of that, you got the players, you know, recruited some guys on that team that I'm really close with. Um, and we had an overall close team. So even the guys I didn't recruit, we still had a great relationship. And so to, to, to go away from that, um, they were happy for me, but it still, from my aspect, wasn't easy, um, because they're just such good people. And, and because it wasn't something where, you know, I was just dying to get out. Like it had to make sense, um, because I was in such a really good situation. So, um, you can't complain about it because obviously, you know, I'm glad I did it. And I'm, 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 super pumped. Um, but I do think there's that, that humanistic part where it's like, you're, you're, you're branching off into kind of the unknown a little bit and you're, and you're leaving some, some quality people behind.
1: Well, I'm glad you talked about that openly because it's definitely a part of it that probably people don't talk about enough, that it's it's not as simple sometimes as just say, oh, yeah, yes, I want that job, right? Yeah. Because there's other factors that go into it. Coach, also unique to your situation is the fact that uh, the outgoing coach, Richard Pitino, and you have a great relationship, and uh, obviously you've coached together in that way as well. So kind of unique in that situation. I'm curious if there's been any communication and what type of interaction there's been.
0: No, Richard's been great. Uh, You know, we talk talk quite often, uh, to be honest. And um, I'm lucky because, you know, I got a chance to work with him for five years and he actually, you know, opened my eyes to another way how to do it at a high level. And, And we've had, you know, I'm not taking over a program where they really, you know, where they just haven't had any success at all. I mean, he, I think he left this in a better situation than when he got it in a lot of areas. Um, you know, going to multiple tournaments, winning the NIT, you know, recruiting pros, having guys getting drafted, which we hadn't had at Minnesota in forever. Um, I mean, they were top 25 program for a majority of the year. You know, they just had some unfortunate, unfortunate circumstances. And and obviously also playing through COVID. So it wasn't a situation where it was just a complete train wreck. Um, So I'm very thankful for that. And and I know the hard work he put into building it um, and how much he cared about this job and this university and living here and, and the whole nine, um, but you not know, a, a tremendous amount of respect for him. And there's some things that, that he does that, that I've stolen and will do here without a doubt. And, and he's helped kind of mold my mind. Um, you know, our personalities are different, but I've learned from his, and I've took a lot of things that I think are, he's really good at as far as his strengths in coaching and, and have trying to kind of change how I am a little bit to grow as a person and a coach. Um, but as far as stuff on the floor, whether it's, you know, different things he did individual individually with, with skill workout stuff, I've stolen. Uh, he's a great offensive guy, so, you know, style of play, but just the overall, you know, the pressing, that was foreign to me, you know, being able to, to, to adapt to a press, why it's important, zone, why it's important, you know, being able to, to kind of be spontaneous. Um, you know, there, there is a lot that I'm, that I'm definitely going to steal and I'm, I'm very fortunate. I'm glad I worked for him um, and because he's really helped mold me uh, and, and I liked it because he was different uh, and had a different approach than what I yeah, normally uh, been brought up uh, and learned under. And it's, it's definitely made me a
1: better coach for sure. Well, it's been really enjoyable to kind of hear that back and forth that, uh, you know, he speaks very highly of you and he's genuinely excited for you. And that's great. And it's such a great representation of the profession and and professionalism, to be honest, from both of you. And it's uh, really cool to hear
0: where, you know, I think I think I um, think you know, especially, you know, I was an assistant here, you know, he could have felt a certain way. I get that. And, and he honestly hasn't. He's been, he's been great. I mean, he's been unbelievable. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for it because I know in this business, it's not, that's not always the case. And, um, you know, like I said, I, I wish him nothing but the best. And, and I know, he, you know, he's a big time coach. I mean, he's, he's in a great situation. He's going to kill it. Uh, but I'm just thankful that the way he's treated me, because I know he didn't have to, uh, you know, it's really been good.
1: Coach, it's been really cool to be able to hear a little bit of your philosophy, obviously your values, and then to be able to hear a little bit about this transition, which is moving from assistant to head coach and getting your first opportunity. I'm curious then, how excited are you to coach your first game as a head coach?
0: Oh, big time. Uh you try not to to think about it too much now because it's only what well, beginning of May, but um, you know, I think that's gonna be it's gonna be pretty cool. Um you know, I, I think uh you know something that obviously I've been uh thinking about for a long time. Um and to be able to do it here uh with with uh with the guys uh, on my staff, um with the team we're about to assemble in front of you know friends and family in a place that I've grown up um attending games at and and, and playing close attention to and being a part of uh you know, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be special. So looking forward to it and, and hopefully the first one turns out the right way. <laughs>
1: Well, coaches, it will be special. And uh, I know after listening to you in this interview, I'm pretty excited for you and Minnesota basketball. And I know more people will be when they listen to the podcast as well. So thanks for sharing the game with us.
0: I appreciate it. Like I said, this is big time. I respect you. I know you do a a really good job and I love tuning in and catching the podcast. So I'm humbled to be on it. And, uh, you know, I appreciate your time. Uh, And, you know, obviously, if there's anything that Minnesota basketball or myself can do for you or for anybody else that listens, we're an open book and I love to, to learn and to grow. So uh, I look forward to the continue to follow you. And uh, I just think, you know, this stuff is big time.
1: So I appreciate you doing this for, for all coaches that, that love it like I do and like you do. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review and subscribe to the show and to give the basketball podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game and to stay up to date on all things basketball immersion. Subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com slash newsletter.